This third Sunday of Advent is called Gaudete Sunday. It's Rejoice Sunday. Particular Sunday of Advent where we kind of take a step back from the purple, from the somber, from the preparation, the repentance, to rejoice in the joy that is coming this Christmas. And so the church, we wear a different color to kind of symbolize um, there's, there's something different about this Sunday. There's a particular emphasis on joy and the rejoicing that we're preparing for. And if that's true, if this Sunday is supposed to be all about rejoicing, the church kind of gives us odd readings to reflect on if we're going to, supposed to talk about joy. Particularly looking at John the Baptist, he doesn't really seem like he's in a very rejoicing place. To kind of take a step back to look at what happened last week and kind of connect where John is and why the church maybe gave us these readings to reflect on. If you remember last week, John the Baptist was baptizing people of the Jordan River, right? He was um, pre- preaching repentance. He was having people acknowledge their sins, baptizing them, preparing for the coming of Jesus, right? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were also coming. They weren't really participating. They were just kind of checking it out, being onlookers. And John called them out on it. Remember, he said, you brood of vipers. The tree that doesn't bear fruit is going to be cut down. He said, the axe is ready. The tree that doesn't bear fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into unquenchable fire. Kind of has this harsh, uh, perhaps dominating idea of a Messiah who's coming. He's coming to clean house. Soon after that gospel, not long after, he was arrested. He was arrested by Herod for for proclaiming the gospel and for calling him out on on an, uh, an adulterous relationship that he was in. And so John, at this point in the gospel, had been in prison for months. And John, perhaps I would imagine, a little discouraged, questioning, wondering. Because in all those months, Jesus, this one who is to come, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, this is the one. Jesus wasn't really doing anything, for him especially. And Jesus also wasn't really doing what he thought he would do. John preached about you know, the axe coming, the fire. Jesus didn't come with any of that. He came healing. He came working miracles. He came offering mercy, preaching repentance. And so John, this one who is you know, the greatest of all, right? Jesus said there's no one born of woman who's greater than John the Baptist. So this great prophet, the greatest of the prophets, in prison, he's questioning. He's wondering. The gospel says, when John heard the works of Jesus... I think you could also say, when John saw what Jesus wasn't doing, he sent messengers to him to ask him, are you the one, or or should we look for another? Are you this Messiah, or did I make a mistake? Are you just a man? Is there someone else who I'm supposed to be looking for? These, These powerful questions that he's asking to Jesus. It's almost like a crisis of faith. John wondering, like, this isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't how I thought things would pan out. Are you really the one who is to come? Look how Jesus answers those questions, those doubts that John places before him. He doesn't give him a simple yes or no. He says, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. He doesn't give him the simple yes or no, but he responds with Scripture. He responds with actually what we heard in the first reading from the prophet Isaiah, another one of these prophetic utterances proclaiming what what it would be like when the Messiah came. And so the disciples took that message back to John, and because John knew the scriptures, because John knew, he said, oh, 
I see now. This is, he is the one. Jesus really is the one who's coming. We don't hear about it, but I believe that's what gave him the faith, the security, the peace, in the midst of that, to persevere. Eventually up to the point of giving up his life for the sake of the gospel, to be martyred. John, I think, in that moment, experienced a joy. Perhaps the joy that the church is lifting up for us today. A joy that can only come through the trial. That by persevering through the trial, experiencing the peace and the security of the Lord. And I think that exchange between Jesus and John has a lot to teach us when we go through those experiences, right? When we have difficulties, when we have discouragements, hardships, doubts, questions, when we wonder. I think a lot of us have gone through that experience, perhaps are going through that experience, and if not, those experiences will come. That's not a question. And so we have a lot we can learn about what we can do in that spot. When we doubt, when we say, God, are you even here? Am I doing the right thing? I thought you would do this or that, and you don't seem to be doing anything. What gives? Are you the one, or did I make a mistake? I want to lift up three things in this encounter of Jesus and John that can be helpful for us and when we find ourselves in those spots. First thing that John does is that he asks the question. If we don't ask the question, we're never going to get the answer. We don't have the courage and the honesty to put forth the question, nothing is going to change. We're just going to sit and ruminate on ourselves and, and, and not get anywhere. What we can't do is fall to the temptation that I can't ask the question, that I can't put that kind of question to God, that I can't doubt, I can't wonder, I can't have these, these, these experiences. Mary herself even shows when the angel Gabriel came to, to tell her that she was going to bear the Messiah, she asked, how can this be? She shows us that, that we're supposed to ask these kinds of questions. We're supposed to, in a sense, it's, almost, it's a lot to say like we're supposed to question, we're supposed to doubt. And I guess we should qualify that. There's a particular kind of doubt we're looking at. There's a kind of doubt that says when we're faced with a problem, we just say, oh, that's stupid. Oh, that's impossible. And then we just kind of walk away from it, right? That kind of doubt isn't really concerned with looking for the truth, though. We're not concerned with going through that hard work. It's just trying to avoid it. It's almost like an immature doubt. But mature, authentic questioning is seeking to find the truth. It's humble enough to seek out the answer and vulnerable enough to put ourselves out there, but then also is, is willing to, to change what we believe because we're seeking the truth. John was questioning but once he heard the response of Jesus, he knew, this is the one. I heard him. He spoke to me. And he's willing to admit, I, had, I, I, was, I was looking at it the wrong way. But now I see that Jesus is the one. The humility to see that and to change what we think because we're seeking the truth ultimately more than anything by asking that question. Second thing John does is that he asks Jesus the question. Jesus, when he's experiencing these doubts, is the first place he goes to. He sends his disciples, go and ask Jesus this question. Go to him with that fear, with that doubt, with that worry. When God isn't doing what we think he should be doing, whenever we, we, we find ourselves kind of absent from God, feeling distant, whenever we fall to this or that sin, and we think, God, what gives? Why aren't you helping me? Why are you letting me fall? What, why, isn't, why can't I just follow what you want for me? 
Why are you letting all this stuff happen? Those are important questions that we have to bring to God if we want him to answer them. We bring those things to the Lord so that he can answer them in the reality of our own life. And he always has an answer to that question. The third thing is that notice Jesus' response. It wasn't just simple, a simple yes or no, right? He quoted the scriptures. I think it's intentional and incredibly important. That John, John's answer to, from Jesus comes through the scriptures, through the word of God. And that's a lot of times today how Jesus speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, through the scriptures. Not just this book that was written 2,000 years ago, but a living and effective word that is alive and speaks to us today. If John hadn't known the scriptures, he wouldn't have been able to get Jesus' answer. If he didn't know the prophets, if he didn't know the prophecies, then he wouldn't have understood what Jesus said. Well, what does this have to do with what I asked you? Why didn't you answer my question? But if we give ourselves to reading of that word, if we read the Gospels and know Jesus and know how he acts, read the prophets and see, see how the Father speaks to his people Israel through these prophets, he doesn't just speak to the prophets, to the people of Israel. He speaks to us today. The more we familiarize ourselves with that word, that's how God speaks to us. And if we don't know the scriptures, we're going to miss perhaps what Jesus is trying to speak to us. Or maybe even we're going to look for the wrong thing. The scriptures remind us what, how God acts and what God is speaking to us. The scriptures don't say, you know, if I give myself to the Lord, if I make him the center of my life, then he's going to remove all of my trials, torments, and difficulties, right? In fact, it probably over and over again says it does say the opposite. All those things are going to come, which is why it's so important that we keep ourselves rooted on that rock of the scriptures, of God speaking to us in the midst of all that we're going through. So that in the midst of that, we can have that peace that John experienced. Jesus answered John's question, but he was still in prison. He was still locked up. He was still suffering. He was still in the dark. Externally, not much changed. But because of, his, of, of that answer, he experienced that deeper peace, that deeper joy that kept him rooted in the midst of all of that. And because of that, he was able to persevere all the way to the end. That's our call, to ask, to ask Jesus and to let him speak to us through the scriptures. And rooted in that, we can do with the second reading what James encouraged us to do, to be patient. As we do that, be patient. Keep going. Like a farmer, he says, uses the image of a farmer who, who, who tends to the plant and then is patient, waiting for that little, that little seedling just to pop up. He can't make it pop up, but he can be faithful to that. He can keep waiting because he knows that it will. God will speak. He desires to speak. Wait on the Lord. Make your heart firm in that truth because Jesus is coming. He's coming at Christmas, and he's coming to each one of our lives to speak to whatever it is that's weighing us down. Be patient. Keep your heart firm and wait on the Lord so that he may speak to each one of us. Amen.